Section 15 of National Geographic Magazine, Volume 2, Numbers 1 and 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Critical Review of Bering's First Expedition, 1725-30, to together with a translation of his original report upon it. By William H. Dow. Part 5. Resume of the Results. Bering had brought a party together with supplies and material over the rough and difficult but long-travelled routes to Okhotsk. Wherever he went, he found settlements and roads such as they were. He transported his material to Bolsheretsk, and from there across the peninsula to Lower Kamchatka settlement. It would have been much easier and shorter to have doubled the peninsula and taken his stores by sea. One of his party had already explored the straits near Cape Lopatka. But there was the chance of disaster in this plan, and with his stores of terra firma, Bering cannot be blamed for taking the land route, especially as the difficulties would not inconvenience him personally. He succeeded in getting his stores and shipwrights to the place designated, and there prepared himself for the voyage. In all this there was difficulty and trouble enough of a certain kind. That it all was surmounted with success is very creditable to Bering and his officers. But to call it exceptionally heroic or extraordinary is to forget the hundreds of others who preceded Bering without the strong arm of the government at their backs, who made the trails he followed, who founded the settlements at which he rested who raised the dogs the horses and the cattle which were used or consumed by his party whatever praise we may feel due to bering and his companions and it is certainly no stinted allowance the appreciation of their struggles cannot fail to include with justice the still more remarkable and nearly forgotten pioneer labours of the undaunted siberiaks who paved the way not only for Bering's weary journey, but for the slow yet never-ceasing march of civilization. After leaving port, Bering traced the shores of Kamchatka and eastern Siberia as far as East Cape. Thence he sailed in a northeasterly direction. At 3 p.m. August the 14th, land was seen astern. The vessel continued in the same direction until 3 p.m. the next afternoon, having, at most, sailed about twenty-four hours out of sight of land but in shallow water bering then concluded he had gone far enough to show the separation of asia from america or any land to the eastward no doubt he was influenced by the testimony of the residents of kamchatka who knew the work which had been performed in this region by dezhnev and others and also by the fact that the native testimony all pointed the same way if he was convinced of the truth of this testimony he would have been disposed to accept as conclusive evidence which would not be so regarded by critics all the evidence shows bearing as faithful to the letter of his orders honest patient with the ill-doing or insubordination of others but perfectly satisfied with the accomplishment of what he had been specifically directed to perform and with a tendency to limit the specifications to the narrowest construction they would bear he adventured nothing beyond. In the arbitrary government under which he served, with the violent competition between foreign officers in the Russian service for promotion in rank and pay, who can criticize him for the prudence and caution which kept him well within his instructions? 
I certainly do not, but to say that he was a cautious, prudent, and sagacious officer is a different thing from asserting he was a daring, adventurous, and heroic explorer. I have not been able to discover anything in his career justifying the latter estimate of his character. At all events, in the present case, it must in time have occurred to him, or have been suggested by his officers, or by the Kamchatkans, after his return, that the mere sailing off-shore, in admittedly shallow water for twenty-four hours, was not an absolutely conclusive proof that the continents were separated. Here was a man with a new vessel, a full crew, a year's provisions for all hands, who has come half around the globe, taking three and a half years to do it, building ships, and at no end of labour of one sort and another, all this to get into the region where there is a question to be answered, and when he gets there he barely gives twenty-four hours to searching for that answer with a month of the season still available for work, and then starts for home without settling the question, with the right conclusion it is true, but not of his own discovery, and without securing definite proof to defy critics. Leaving out of account the continent within half a day's sail, which he fairly ran away from, ignorantly, where is there anything adventurous, daring, or heroic in such conduct? It is evident that if Bering had sailed along the coast, which the Chukchis said extended to the westward, instead of going offshore, away from it, he would have confirmed that part of their testimony, and given high probability to the assumption of their correctness in the rest. As it was, he left the question in a state so unsettled as to be a subject of debate for nearly half a century. Even authorities so friendly as Dr. Campbell, assuming with great confidence that Bering's conclusions as to the separation of the two continents were erroneous. It was not until the voyages of Captain Cook and his associates were given to the world in 1784 that the matter was settled beyond controversy. Even in regard to the details of his voyage, it was only through Burke's publication of Chaplin's logbook of the voyage in 1823 that the public were informed as to what Bering did, and it was only in 1847 that the unmutilated but still ambiguous report of 1730 was accessible even in Russian typography. We find that all the authorities who published in the last century copies of Bering's map and accounts of his expedition arrived at what Lauridsen calls an interesting misunderstanding. This misunderstanding was that he had sailed along the Chukchi coast as above suggested, and that his farthest point was in latitude 67 degrees 18 minutes on the coast of northeastern Siberia. How was it possible that men of such exceptional intelligence as Duhald and Danville and Muller and Hasius and Euler and Campbell were all so deceived? The facts are as follows. 1. The verbatim report of the voyage, the logbook of the expedition, Bering's chart in its entirety, were inaccessible to the public for many years. The chart has never been fully engraved for publication. 2. The fragments of the report, which were circulated in print, were ambiguous in their language or erroneously modified, while the published reductions of the chart, which got into print, were misleading or even erroneous. 3. Two conflicting versions of the manuscript chart were circulated and appear to have been officially sent out. That which appears to be the later of the two is in some details quite erroneous, and at variance with Bering's report as printed, and with the facts derived from Chaplin's logbook, these two constituting the only authentic original information which has yet reached the public in printed form. 
but these two sources of correct data about the expedition were not printed until long after the charts had been widely circulated while the extracts from the report which appeared in print even under so friendly an editor as dr campbell were so modified as to support rather than expose the original error how this arose there may be something in the russian archives to explain or if not the case seems insoluble whatever conclusion one arrives at it is difficult to acquit bering of all responsibility for the misconception if as lauridsen claims he was responsible for the chart of duhald in the form it was engraved in his report he states that their northernmost latitude was sixty seven degrees eighteen minutes that quote, all along the sea coast to this place wind elevated mountains end quote on turning to the duhald chart we find the range of mountains continued along the chukchi coast until it reaches the latitude of sixty seven degrees eighteen minutes where it stops if bering drew the chart so it would have been deception but it is quite as probable that the editor modified the chart in engraving it to correspond to his understanding of bering's ambiguity as this would present nothing questionable to the reader in the absence of the details omitted by bering it would have been nothing surprising if campbell's interpolation of a false longitude for lower kamchatka in his list of positions might have been not a typographical error but an attempt to make the position agree with his erroneous assumption if it was a pure accident the coincidence is extraordinary of course bering never was on this coast but duhald's map is so engraved as to lead directly to the false inference that he had been again bering says in his report that at his turning point the land no longer extended to the north and that no projecting points could be observed in any direction since he had deliberately sailed away from the shores without attempting to follow their trend this observation would be absurd unless we suppose it addressed to a reader who took it for granted that the vessel was still skirting the coast there is no mention in his report of the fact that he had sailed away from the coast nor of the still more important fact that the soundings showed that the water was comparatively shallow and discoloured of course in the absence of direct proof of the separation of asia and america this last evidence would tend to indicate that bering was only in a bay or shallow arm of the sea and that he suppressed it shows if not a want of candour at least an injudicious reticence the map for the day when it was made in the earlier version was a good one and is appropriately praised by cook who had a copy of campbell's harris on his vessel when exploring in the same region fifty years later in his report of the trip eastward from kamchatka in seventeen twenty nine bering says nothing about the weather being foggy or stormy but merely asserts that he sailed nearly two hundred vests and saw no trace of land he leaves it to be inferred that he could have seen land if it had been there to see which if the weather was foggy was not true the impression which these facts leave upon the mind is that bering did certainly frame his language so as to convey the idea that his evidence of the separation of the two continents and of the absence of land eastward from kamchatka was more conclusive than it was in reality that this was done to avoid criticism seems a natural inference 
that an examination of his list of positions would have shown the location of the point whence he turned back to be to the eastward of the easternmost of his reported land is true but his list of positions was not published with his report does not agree with his maps and when published by campbell was garbled as i have shown that the truth however did get out and that criticism was not successfully avoided is a matter of history there can be little doubt that bering's anxiety to undertake the second expedition which followed was stimulated by a desire to set these criticisms which would naturally be magnified by his enemies finally at rest it may be suggested that bering's report was modified by the authorities though why they should make these particular modifications is not very evident bering was the only person who could profit by them and the natural conclusion is that he should be held responsible in pointing out that some of bering's acts are vulnerable to criticism i am far from desiring to sully his memory or give the idea that he was not entitled to great praise for what he accomplished much of which was admirably done i wish merely to apply a gentle corrective to the exaggerated and injurious flattery and undiscriminating praise which has been injudiciously indulged in by his latest biographers if the interest in the subject be stimulated by discussion from these opposing points of view so as to result in the publication of some of the material still hidden in the russian archives i shall be more than repaid for the time i have devoted to the question even if the publication of the original data should show some of my conclusions to be ill-founded or erroneous note the reception of the original work of berg while reading the proofs of these pages has enabled me to correct several errors of previous writers but it was too late to incorporate here the additional material which berg's work affords this will enable me to add in a future publication some historical data which have never appeared in english and which are necessary to complete the record i desire in this place to express my gratitude for and appreciation of the liberality of the authorities of that ancient seat of learning the university of upsala as exhibited in their willingness to send such a valuable document to a foreign student half around the world for purposes of historical research End of section 15.